newest episode of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm Austin. I'm a knockout. Watch a lot of wrestling. I'm David. I'm a noob. I haven't watched nearly as much wrestling. Um, and the the wrestling we are going to watch today, I especially haven't uh, not watched much of. I could have phrased that better, but you know what I'm trying Great to get Great phrasing, at. but yes, yeah, we yeah, are I'm... entering a brand new territory. Um, we have watched non-WWE stuff before. Uh, every every month or so, we do a thing of Lucha Underground, and we did AEW way back at the beginning of this podcast. But we've never really done an extensive uh, a arc, so to speak, of another company. I don't really count Lucha Underground as in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So this is new for us. Yes. Oh, this is exciting. And what we're gonna do is we are going to cover. Uh, the the rise of WCW, WWE's greatest rival. And as I told David, you know, there's only, when you're talking about the rise of WCW and the fall, uh, also yeah. the rise, <laughs> you really have to start with the NWO, the New, New World, Order. World Order. That part I do know. I know what that stands for. It's mm-hmm. been main, name dropped about a zillion damn times on this show. Yeah, so you know we we've talked around the history of WCW as 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 a way to kind of give context to WWE's history. So, and I figure I'll go ahead and and kind of review where what what how WCW got to the point that it's at in 1996. Um. And I kind of have to go start back at the territory days. I swear I'm going to be as quick as possible in this history. <laughs> but so, I'm in the wrestling business. Yeah, we will do that. We'll get there. Yay! <laughs> so in the territory era, you had uh, the National Wrestling Alliance, uh, an oligopoly of a bunch of regional wrestling promotions agreeing to kind of stay out of each other's territories share talent, share, share champions in some cases, all make money together as opposed to being direct competition to each other. And while they would always, you know, be looking to push into each other's territories to get that a little bit of extra money themselves, in general, they stay out of each other's way, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. David? The, the, the mafia, yeah. Okay, just make sure you're still there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you have that, and then WWE, which at this point was more of a, it wasn't a part of the NWA, uh, it goes back and forth on that kind of thing historically, but when Vince McMahon Jr. was in charge, they weren't in the NWA, but before Vince had took an over, taken over, even when they weren't in the NWA, they always respected the NWA boundaries. Like, they didn't try to encroach on other people's territory, they stayed in the American Northeast the New York, Boston, Baltimore market. That's uh, slightly surprising. McMahon Jr. respected boundaries? Okay, I was going to say, I was going to say McMahon Jr. and respecting boundaries does not quite go together. Now, Vince McMahon Sr. is the one who, when he was in charge, he always respected the NWA boundaries. McMahon Jr., he saw an opportunity to go national, and he, in his mind, who cares about your stupid, dumb boundaries? <laughs> your little made-up borders that says you can't go any farther than here. Like, I, he didn't respect them. He didn't care. He wanted to make his company the first major national wrestling organization in, in America. 
based Vince McMahon says borderless society. Hey. You heard it here first, folks. Vince McMahon says, why an oligopoly when a monopoly will do just fine. True. Yeah, so, and and basically, uh, you know, Vince uh, was aggressive in uh, his takeover of the territories, and he was generally successful at it. He didn't have a whole lot of pitfalls, mostly because I I've always looked at it as like, you know, he comes from a place of having a lot of resources. I mean, his home base was New York City. You know, he's going to have a lot of resources there. Uh, he was smart and made the right connections with MTV, NBC, Mr. T, Cindy Lauper. You know the story here <laughs> of of kind of being able to to create something that the mainstream audience could identify with better and get get his wrestling out there. I, it's I, I like th- I, this is so off topic. It still blows my mind that Cindy Lauper is like a, a a somewhat major player in like the 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 history of contemporary pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. As as I've probably mentioned before, uh, her dad in the video "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" was wrestling manager Captain Lou Albano. That's... That was kind of her connection into the wrestling was through Captain Lou. That's so wholesome. Anyway. Yeah, but anyway, Vince, uh, you know, again, he he many of the territories he kind of mows over because because the, the fact of the matter is not everyone was well equipped to deal with. Uh, here comes WWF with all their money and all their talent that they're buying out, buying up, coming to take over your territory. You know, not everyone was well equipped to deal with that, but a couple of places were, and 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 this brings me to Jim Crockett Promotions. Uh, Jim Crockett Promotions was owned by, you guessed it, Jim Crockett. <laughs> and they were basically the control, they were basically, you know, the American South. Uh, their home base, so to speak, was traditionally like North Carolina, down to down to Georgia. If you want to think about their ho- their regional area. And what they kind of became, they became WWF's greatest rival. Because basically they had Ric Flair. Um, I feel like I don't need to tell very many people in this audience, a wrestling fan or know who Ric Flair is. Big boy. He, yeah, he is one of the all time great wrestlers. He, he became super popular. He was, he was the Hulk Hogan for people outside of WWF. He was Mm -hmm. the Hulk Hogan of everywhere else. And, you know, he was, uh, he made the waves being an amazing wrestler and a character and the evil heel NWA champion who you just wanted to see get beat, but he always managed to figure out how to, how to sneak out of there. (laughs) (laughs) And so it basically came down. Basically what happened is, is that like, when it comes to the territorial system, it almost became a war on two fronts of you got the WWF from the out externally, you know, come rolling on in to take all your, take all your land. (laughs) All your land are belong to us. But at the same time, in an attempt to fight the WWF, you know, the NWA, even though they had, even though not every territory was equally large or power or money making, they all had relatively equal power. That was the point. It wasn't there. There wasn't a there wasn't a a a functional hierarchy, or at least there tried not to be. But you know, as as times got more desperate, 
JCP with one being one of the few territories, if not arguably the only territory that had the talent to be able to go up against WWF kind of usurped power within the NWA and kind of, and kind of helped collapse the system mm-hmm. when it kind of stopped being a collaborative group and it kind of became JCP and everyone else, I guess. <laughs> JCP I- became synonymous with the NWA brand as a whole. And that that kind of facilitated the collapse. However, despite JCP's best efforts, and they had a hell of efforts, you know, they 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 uh, they had a hell of effort uh, to um, get to fight WWF. They kind of went at it from the from the more wrestling oriented perspective, as opposed to WWE's kind of entertainment kind of look at it. But ultimately, the problem was is JCP just couldn't get the money. Like, they just could not afford to really expand as hard as they needed to expand. Like, they were trying to... Despite being, like, the biggest thing? Hmm? Despite being, like, the biggest thing? They were the biggest territory, yeah, but they still didn't have the resources to be able to, like, make a nationwide expansion in the same way that WWF did. And I think part of that is they kind of had to move too quickly. Ah. They needed to move fast to catch up, and they just didn't have the money to kind of do that. The WWF was a lot more controlled. It was a lot more, and obviously he has the te- the national televised deals. But in terms of like becoming live event tour, making the, each part of the country part of the tour, it was a lot more like strategic and piece by piece, as opposed to just being like, "Well, we're in New York now, but suddenly we're in California." Uh, yeah, but the but JCP to compete tried to do that. Tried to skip way to the end and they just didn't have the money they were stretched too thin and but then here comes ted turner to the rescue <sighs> so ted turner you might have heard of him he kind of was a billionaire media mogul who's in who's responsible for the turner network of tv tnt the tbs superstation cnn that stuff hmm. and he had always had a great respect for wrestling um it, it depending on who you ask, it was purely financial, or he was legitimately a fan. But either way, he he recognized that a big a big reason why the TBS Superstation took off was because of the ratings he got from airing um, Georgia uh, at the time. It was called Georgia Championship Wrestling before they rebranded to Jim Crockett Promotions. So he had kind of a great respect for that wrestling company. And he and when he saw they were in financial straits, he saw an opportunity to take over the company itself and keep pro wrestling under his direct watch, <laughs> which of course led to the famous a supposed conversation about the the day that Ted Turner um, bought WC, uh, then became WCW. He rebranded it as World Championship Wrestling. Uh, the day he bought WCW, he calls Vince McMahon, who they had. There's a past relationship there that I don't want to get go back into quite. Ex- I, just, uh, I, I have enough to talk about. But he calls up Vince, and he, and he supposedly says, uh, well, Vince, uh, I, I'm, I'm in the wrestling business. And wait, wait, wait. Like, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I do it? Can I do it? Like, I'll, I, I, I have to amend the quote because I didn't get all of the quote last time. Oh, okay. Is is um Vince goes well well that's great Ted but we're in different businesses and and Ted is kind of confused he's like well what do you mean and Vince goes well you're in the wrestling business and 
I'm in the entertainment business. Oh, I hope I I cannot express enough how deeply I hope that that's a true quote because if 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 so, that is the single most profound thing that Vincent K. McMahon has ever said in his entire fucking life. I agree. I desperately want it to be a real quote, but again, I can't confirm that it's real. Yeah. So WCW um from it was I believe 1989 sounds about right to me when Ted Turner took over to about 1995 was 1994 was a shit show <laughs> first problem WCW was bleeding money they struggled a lot to you know they still wanted to be a national a brand on par with the WWF. And even with Ted Turner's money, they were struggling to make the money necessary to, you know, become that top brand. And that would end and WCW can't make money is kind of an M is kind of a problem consistent with WCW's whole history. They pretty much only ever made money during a couple of years when they were at their absolute peak. Yeah. When, when, uh, uh, for, for the, uh, eagle-eared uh or i guess rabbit-eared i don't know uh listeners of our show uh you know this was that that that's when wwf was in the new generation and mm-hmm. um and wcw surpassed them and it took until uh stone cold to kind of get that uh honor back yeah so during that during that eight that vaunted 83 weeks <laughs> wcw was making money hand over fist finally mm-hmm. <laughs> but so you have that problem the second problem is you didn't have the right guy running. I'm going to save that for last to, to segue into the next part. The second problem is nobody at Turner wanted wrestling except Ted Turner. <laughs> in the in the minds of of the ever uh, every other Turner bra- member of the Turner brass, wrestling was for is this trashy show for low income people, low income idiots. And you can't make it, and it's and we want, especially TNT and TBS, we're especially like we want to be more prestigious. We want to be seen as like premium channels for for affluent adults, and and wrestling flew in the face of that idea in their minds, and <laughs> it kind and it became a yearly. You know, every year when they're when they're having their board meeting talking about the the past year and the upcoming year, everyone every year someone would pitch, "Hey, we we got someone willing to buy WCW. We should sell." And Ted Turner would be like, "Nope, <laughs> this is my pet project. Damn it!" Yeah, uh, and and I've been reading uh, Nitro by Guy Evans. Gonna hot gonna go ahead and pit and and plug that book because it's a fantastic resource into what was going on at WCW and Turner Broadcasting at the time at this time, and the history of like where everything kind of fell apart, how everything came, rose, and how everything fell. And Ted, they, the the book portrays Ted Turner as a bit of a of an intent of someone who intentionally tries to go against the grain uh and he saw and he kind of like took personal effect he kind of saw with his when everyone else was saying get rid of wcw it's bad for the brand tm ted turner took that as a challenge that we're gonna keep it because that's the kind of personality he had he saw wcw 
as uh, similar to how everybody is, uh, the book uses this comparison of they talked about how when he was first trying to launch CNN, everybody told him, really, man, 24 hour news station. Who's going to watch that? How's that going to, how's that going to be successful? That's too much news. Obviously CNN was a massive success. (gasps) And so Ted Turner came to this idea that like his, uh, his, his gut was the smartest thing here. And his gut says that WCW is that TV that belongs at Turner, and that's where it's going to stay. But and so there was this constant friction between Ted Turner and everybody else at Turner over this, and ultimately that's kind of what led to WCW's demise. Is that Ted Turner would have the media mergers in the late '90s with Time Warner and AOL. Great times. Yeah. Very successful yeah. AOL. Yeah. Oh, God. And as he as those murders happen, Ted Turner obviously becomes less powerful, less able to just kind of be like, my way or the highway, pal. And so once it stopped being solely Ted Turner's call, WCW quickly lost favor, and it kind of became a inevitability that it was going to get cut. Because that attitude that... WCW is too trashy for our network never went away. Well, we see this time and again with a lot of different things. We, we you get like you get heads of of entertainment networks of 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 TV networks whatever who have like their their special thing that they want to push and they try so hard and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Ted Turner um I can understand why he was so confident in his abilities to do this here, but like with the power of retrospect, just from hearing this right now, it's clear he was fighting an uphill battle, especially when the main competition was Vince McMahon. Yeah, like we can t- I can talk more about Deep Dead if I want to, but the book goes to a lot of effort to talk about how institute from an institute. This is a good segue into my third point: mm-hmm. is that institutionally, WCW was a fucking mess on an organizational level in a way that the WWF just isn't even on their worst days, even in the new generation, WWF is a machine of marketing and sales that WCW never knew how to do. And so the third major problem for WCW uh, going uh, to this point was the right man in charge, AKA they never had one. It was, (laughs) From 1989 to 1994, it was kind of a, WCW was a revolving door of one of two personality types. It was either a big professional wrestling people like Dusty Rhodes or Cowboy Bill Watts, who had no ability, who could do the wrestling stuff pretty well, but had no ability to endear themselves to Turner Brass. They didn't. They didn't know how to deal with business, the business people, the suits, as it were, and or. You got, they would put in a, a executive. Uh, the most famous is Jim Hurd, uh, who was a executive at Pizza Hut before he took over at WCW. And sure, yeah, you know, is the executive types. They knew how to, you know, look respectable in the eyes of the rest of Turner Media, but they also had no goddamn clue about how to actually run a wrestling company. Yeah, why are we pulling a Pizza Hut exec exactly? Because it was all because it's about the perception that oh, you know, WCW is a business, 
So we need a businessman who knows uh, business to run oh this God. thing. We don't need these wrestling people are idiots who don't know what the hell they're talking about or what they're they don't know business. They're they're stupid redneck wrestlers. Oh my we need a respectable Christ. businessman in charge here. Oh God. That that you know again, assuming it's true, that makes the we're in the entertainment business line from McMahon all the more prescient. From mm-hmm. like from a standpoint of they weren't prepping to run like an entertainment company. Yeah, like they, there was this never-ending culture clash between yeah. a southern wrestling company and a multi-billion-dollar media corporation. Yep, there was just this. It it never ended, and it and it was the ultimate downfall. But in nine late '94, I want to say is '94 or '95. Uh, no, it's '94. This happened is is Ted Turner, he found the golden, the, 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 he found the perfect person to run this stupid, to run this stupid company. Eric Bischoff. Uh, Eric Bischoff is kind of a, is, uh, he was a career kind of hustler. He had a lot of, he did a lot of stuff in sale. He had a lot of different kind of things as part of his career. He, he like, he had, a, like, he just bounced around a lot, constantly trying to kind of like, better him better get make better for himself and kind of find the right niche for him to become successful and in doing so he had a lot of he had a lot of ability as an entrepreneur he had a lot of i guess experience as an entrepreneur and kind of a salesperson and he was able to schmoo and in that way he was able to endear himself to turner brass but at the same time he was a re- he had been involved in wrestling. Uh, he had had a job working at uh, the AWA, the American Wrestling Association, in the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, that was a company that was dying at the time, to be honest. But you know, it still gave him this experience in wrestling, and it gave him this understanding about wrestling that also allowed him to be, you know, like the wrestling people liked him too. So you found the perfect person who can get both, who can play both sides. And not surprisingly, he would end up being the most successful president, uh, the executive vice president of, of WCW ever had. Naturally. Yeah. And so he took over in 94. Uh, he did a lot of, he made a lot of big moves to cut costs, but at the same time, he was upset. He, he knew that what he needed to do is he needed to, to refresh the 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 what the look and the feel and the and the roster he needed to make it feel like a big time wrestling company that's that's what he viewed to be the main problem is that they wanted to go national but they still felt like a southern wrestling company (laughs) we need to to have a greater broader appeal and that's why one of his first big moves was to sign hulk hogan ah in in June of 1994, at this point, Hulk Hogan is floundering as a wrestler, as a movie star. Yeah. Oh Lord. And uh, and if Eric Bischoff uh, manages to get a conversation with him, and he's able to convince uh, 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 Hogan to come back to wrestling and sign with WCW, and so that was a big move to kind of legitimize WCW in the eyes of of a of a larger public, like. That Hulk Hogan guy is in WCW. They must be a big oh, deal. 
Oh, oh, okay. So, so we just we're just we're just hopping right on, getting getting the nostalgia act to to come in and and save the company in a way. Yes. Oh Jesus. That, WCW. That, it's, that historically it's, it's, goes well. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a. It's it's probably not quite the most fair assessment of WCW. It's at the very least a very. It's a very um once. It's it's not seeing the whole picture, but. WCW was really good about kind of throwing around Ted Turner's money to sign these big names to get people established stars to get to get people to pay attention to W to WCW. He signs Hogan. He signs Savage. He signs away. He signs a bunch of Hogan's friends from the eighties. And suddenly they kind of become the top stars in the company along with guys that were already there, like the Ric Flairs. And, and he kind of, and, and suddenly WCW has a lot more mainstream buzz. Mm. Um, Hogan almost immediately became WCW champion and thus begins the friction between, uh, Hogan's Hogan and the WCW faithful, which I'll get more into that a couple of episodes from now when we talk about Hogan's heel turn more. Um, but yeah, they had positioned themselves pretty strongly and then Ted Turner and one of his once again trying to prove that everyone else is wrong, but I'm right, moves insists that WCW will have a live uh, show on Monday night, a live show in prime time. Uh, wait, did they not get that up until that point? No. Oh, uh, the show we are going to watch tonight, WCW Monday Nitro, air debuted in September of 1995. Oh shit! Oh, up to that, up oh, to that point, their signature moment. time frame would have been Saturday nights at six oh five. Would have been the signature WCW time slot. The, the, t- holy, holy, oh, so so this is like momentous. What we're gonna watch. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, I'm excited. But ooh. and there was a lot of fears within the industry, uh, within the with by of like what kind of audiences they're going to have. Cause remember this is 1995 WCW WWF's hitting rock bottom and seemingly huh. just keep going further. You know, 95 <laughs> is like, you know what we've seen in 94. What if it was like twice as bad? That's 95. <laughs> like they're losing, they're losing money badly. They're losing audience. It's like who, like what kind of audience is WCW going to have? What's a second wrestling show? They, they, I thought they were just going to split the audiences, right? Yeah, but as it turns out, they t- WCW tapped into an audience that WWF just didn't have, and we talked a little bit about it. Where and we talked a little bit about it um, when we talked about how the how uh, Monday Night Raw beat Nitro, but it wasn't a situation. It wasn't a zero sum game. The audience just got bigger on on one side. Oh yeah. They weren't WCW wasn't necessarily pulling viewers away from Monday Night Raw, though they were also doing that. But they were also getting an audience that just didn't want to watch Raw. So, so were they? Was this coming from like leaning into the we appeal to rednecks thing, or what? Like, where did where exactly? Because I, I know we talked about it a little bit, but I'm still not like a hundred percent on where did that audience like kind of spring from. 
Well, WCW, you know, what got them successful was Eric Bischoff was convinced that the way to, that the audience to pitch to wasn't uh, children and families, not let's WWF's thing. We're going to pitch to the 18 to 34 crowd. Uh. That's who we're going to play to. Oh, he wanted his wrestling show to be a little grittier, a little more, a little more adult, not, not like R rated adult or anything, but a little more edgy. So like, so almost like the PG 13 mentality then. Yeah. A little more, a little more realistic in his eye, in his eyes. Um, he wanted to, he wanted to differentiate himself from what WWF was doing and he was very successful at it. And that kind of comes into, uh, the NWO thing. There's that history lesson went a little longer than I hoped, but I think I did a good enough job of kind of explaining how we how WCW got here. So now let's talk about '96 in particular. You know, I watched their most recent pay per view, Slambury. I, I kept reading that and just being like, Slambury, welcome to the Jamboree. <laughs> and so what the 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 gimmick of Slambury '96 was the Lethal Lottery Tournament. Uh, the Lethal Lottery Tournament is a is a is an occasionally used tournament where they have a random draw and a bunch of guys get thrown into tag teams randomly, and they have a tournament against each other, and then the last like eight right wrestlers have one big match against each other, and the winner becomes the Lord of the Ring and gets a shot at the WCW title. Slambury. That I that that's all I gotta say. Slambury. It's a little bit of a hokey gimmick, and I didn't love it, but it does give me a good excuse to talk about ever all the most of the WCW mid cards. So, oh hey, let's roll into it. Uh, again, I use a lot of air quotes when describing random because, as you would guess, it's still fixed. So you get a lot of situations where like tag teams are split up, and oh no, they have to face each other, or. I have to tag team with my bitter rival. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Stuff that randomly that's not going to happen. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're we're trying to tell story. We're trying to push storylines here. It's not we're not literally going to be random. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, David, lost you there for a second. Yep, sorry folks. Just going to Okay, we're back. Anyway, Slamboree, leave the lottery. Randomness is bullshit, but it's fine. Yeah. Anyway, so the first match, the first the first match was Road Warrior Animal and Booker T versus Road Warrior Hawk and Lex Luger. What do you know? Look at that. Tag teams huh. having to face each other. Road uh, Warriors, hmm. you know them, don't gotta explain them. Yeah. They they uh, they they do they do the bicycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Booker T, uh, you know him, but right now he is in a tag team with his brother, Stevie Ray. They're Harlem Heat, sucker. Wait, wait, are they like actual IRL brothers? Yes. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're just, they're kind of like really athletic black dudes. I really I don't have a better word for it. They don't, this is, they're, they're not important enough to get like serious character development or anything. I mean, Booker T is charismatic as hell, so I just, he I is. just enjoy him. He makes it work. And then Lex Luger. Oh, I have so much to say about him, but I'll wait till we get talking about Luger. 
Yes, our favorite all-American hero America boy. is here Ugh. in WCW. Why? Life is life is a never-ending torture wheel. He's doing a solid storyline with Sting with the Stinger right now. So, but we'll again we'll wait till we get to Sting. Wait, is that, oh, is that face point face paint boy Sting? Yes, face nice. paint boy. Nice, nice paint. Okay. Yes. Um, funny enough, Lex Luger is WCW TV champion. That's their third string belt. Didn't know that because he hasn't, they haven't mentioned it on huh. Slamboree or in the last episode of Nitro I watched. So it's like, I didn't even know that. <laughs> uh, honestly, good. Get dicked on Luger. Yes. Anyway, they fought to a double count out because they were just too busy trying to punch each other to win. It's kind of dumb, but whatever. Yeah. 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 Next up. We have the public enemy. They're a real tag team, and they randomly got back, got to ta- tag team together. Uh, so the public enemy um, is kind of like we we keep coming having these characters that are like white dudes who are kind of hip hop before gangster rap really blew up, and that became weird. I don't really know. How, I don't know enough about them to know to give you more details than that. I'll just say that their names are Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge, and they kind of look about how you imagine they are if that's their names. Oh, they were ECW stalwarts. They were famous for putting people through tables, but then you what? know, what ECW was offering money, and ECW didn't pay doesn't pay people. What? So what is it with pro wrestling? And making characters out of lame ra- uh, lame rappers. I don't understand. Why is this such a running motif across the fucking board? Hey, now, they don't rap. Wait, I thought you said they were rappers. No, they're, they're just oh. like hip-hop enthusiasts. Oh, hip-hop enthusiasts. Pardon me. Yeah, and they're taking on... Yay! It's discourse time, David. Because they're taking on Chris Benoit and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! 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 We prep for this, but let's let's go I, ahead and talk about it. Oh Jesus! Chris okay. Benoit. For the people who don't know, and we do have people here who don't watch wrestling, so they mm. might not know about this. this so Chris Benoit. Like Chris Benoit was a super popular wrestler um, of the mid '90s to the mid 2000s. But due to um, one weekend in 2007, he no-showed a WWE pay-per-view. And it later was revealed that he killed his wife, Nancy Benoit, who's also a wrestler on this show. Uh, his son, his young son, uh, I, believe, I believe it was his name is Chris. And then he killed well, himself. Son, the, the son's name is Daniel. Oh, Daniel, you're right. Thank you. Uh, he does have a son named Chris, though. That's what I was confused about. Okay. But Dan, he's son, his young son, Daniel, and then himself over the course of the weekend. Um, it's a very gruesome tale, and I don't really want to say the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is for a, and the but for people trying to engage with Chris Benoit's work now, for a lot of people, it's tough because they grew up with Benoit, and so it's hard for them to reconcile the wrestler that they watched. Uh, for years uh, with the same person with the with the person that he the, that he became yeah you know, with the as a murderer yeah. and I get that but I am firmly in the camp of like I can appreciate his work as being technically sound he is one of the greatest technical wrestlers than we may have ever seen 
but I can't get over the fact that he's a murderer. Yeah, that, that that that's a pall that just hangs over. I, I mean I that that'd be like that'd be like for 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 like me if you know my wrestling fandom continues on and you know down the down the line all of a sudden like John Cena or CM Punk goes and does some does some shit like this like it's I can I can sympathize with like how emotionally difficult grappling with this is but. Oh Jesus! Uh, the the ultimate takeaway can't be anything, but this is an awful person, and we never should be allowed to lose sight of that. Yeah, and so my take on this for this podcast is we'll talk about it because it's hard to avoid his work. He was a very prolific wrestler for this decade of time, but I can't in good I can't really provide any sort of like solid analysis of his work from like a critique standpoint. I just can't divorce art from artist enough to do that. And I will say that we are never, ever going to do, you know, we have these spotlight arcs. We are never going to do one on a Benoit Mm storyline. So for this, this is another, for this situation, him and the taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, uh, his thing is that is he is in a long-running feud with the Taskmaster because, and this is true, and this is a little bit of a funny story. Uh, Kevin Sullivan is the was the booker, and I think he is still the booker, the head writer uh, of WCW at this time, and along with being a wrestler. And he wrote a storyline where he, he his his wife it was, is Nancy Ben was then Nancy Sullivan and known as woman the reason her name is like that is because the taskmaster Kevin Sullivan used to be like in the 80s he was like a satanic a sat an evil satanist character really play, catch cashing in on the satanic panic stuff and woman was his like dutiful <coughs> slave girl who was enamored by him? Or oh God! Oh, I love. Anyway, I love, oh, and so works. the name "woman" stuck even after he stopped doing Satanist stuff. It's kind of grandfathered our way into that name. Anyway, so he writes the storyline where she tries to. She's wanting to leave him for Chris Benoit, and. To make the storyline more realistic, kayfabe, you know, he has Nancy start traveling with Chris to shows and stuff. And oopsie daisy, Nancy does actually start having an affair with Chris and leaves Kevin to be in a relationship with Chris Benoit. IRL out of kayfabe? Yes. Yikes. As the storyline goes, as the joke goes, Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce <laughs> because this would only have ha- this only happened because he decided to write a storyline where his wife leaves him for Chris Benoit, oh. and then it became real. Oh God! It's very funny, and if we were going to do a Chris Benoit story, I'd kind of want to do that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's 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 unfortunate on a number of levels That's oh rough, no yeah a lot of rough whole lot whole whole anyway boy. so they're big beefing but now <laughs> they're stuck to be tag partners and then they lose to the public enemy because you know they don't get along the next match is rick steiner and the booty man fuck versus sergeant craig Pittman and scott steiner 
This is before Scott Steiner was a steroidy b- Magoo boy. Oh. Now he's just like a big boy hoss boy who is like, I was an amateur wrestler in Michigan, and also I can throw, I can suplex you out of the ring because I'm that badass and strong. Hey, hey, from the mitten. Nice. Yeah, and so that's what his tag team that him and Rick like they're the Steiner brothers. Wait, 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 wait. Is is does uh, is Steiner at this point still wearing wearing chainmail? No, nah, he ain't got that uh, yet. Okay, carry on. So they're in a tag team against each other. Uh, Sergeant Craig Pittman is a stereotypical USA military gimmick. It's exactly what you think it is. It's not mm-hmm. any deeper than that. And the fucking booty man. Okay. Hmm. So. Booty Man is Ed Leslie. He is ba- he is Hulk Hogan's best friend, and Hulk Hogan has gotten Ed Leslie like ninety percent of the jobs he's ever had in pro wrestling. That okay. feels like that feels like it's diminishing his talents because he but because he is actually a decent wrestler, but he follows Hogan around, kind of rode his coattails. I can't ignore that part. Anyway, he go he's going he goes through a million bazillion characters. Uh, right now, he is the Booty Man because he he likes butts or something. It's huh. like it's like if Billy Gunn was played with less of an edge and more of like comedic, cartoony friendliness. I it's weird. Uh, that sounds like that sounds like a family friendly proto Val Venus. The best part about it is that his finishing move is the high knee. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's a knee to the butt. No, that's a knee to the face, but it's called a high oh. knee. Get it? Because high knee. Oh, 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 come on. Oh, pain. Nothing and he's pain. with the booty babe. I'll get back to her later. Uh, They win. Next match, uh, VK Wall Street and Jim Duggan versus beat the Blue Bloods, Lord Steven Regal and Squire David Taylor. The Blue Bloods are like stereotypical English snobby. They they look like they came out of the crown. They walked out of Netflix as the crown. (laughs) And they're they're all right. And then VK Wall Street is uh, he's the he's IRS, by the way. Oh, I'm I'm sensing a pattern. But now he's he's subtweeting Vince McMahon. VK, you know, Vincent Kennedy. Oh, oh. Do you I get see. it? I you know, I think I get it. It's 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 very subtle, but I think I get Yeah, he's he's basically a stereotypical rich guy wrestler. And he he hates Jim Duggan. Jim Duggan is a USA guy that says ho. He really has no other character depth to it. He is still insanely popular. I don't get it. I think he sucks. I'm yeah. sorry, fans of 80s wrestling. I hate Jim Duggan. <laughs> oh, 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 man. Now now it's Austin with the spicy takes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Usually that's my job. <laughs> but they win the match despite the fact that they hate each other. Great. Wow. Uh, then we get Dirty Dick Slater, who is uh, kind of a he's – a, he's a, He's like this grungy southern bar fighter looking guy. That's the best way I can describe him to you. And he's he's managed by Colonel Robert Parker. <laughs> and the C. Lee in the WWF. Oh. Doing the exact same character. <laughs> oh god. Wait, wait, is Tennessee Lee the 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 like 
the 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 Murica dude. Now Tennessee Lee is the is the plantation looking motherfucker. Oh oh that manages jail. Oh, oh no oh yeah oh no oh Christ please. yes he married Je- Jeff Jarrett and now oh. he's managing Terry Dick Slater. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Just, and, just keep the hits rolling, guys, with these gimmicks. Jesus. And Earl Robert Eaton, who's one of the Blue Bloods, but got broken up from the group at this point. Unfortunately. And uh, he, he, they beat Disco Inferno. He, he's a, he's what you think it is. <laughs> he Burn, does disco baby dance. Burn. It's like a clown, and everybody kind of likes it. <laughs> kind of being the operative word there. And Alex Wright, uh, Das Wunderkind. He's part of the Ger- he's he's the he's a German. That's his only character trait. And he's part of the cruiserweight division. I'll talk more about them in a second. So they win that match. Then you got the Di- Diamond Dallas Page, DDP. So let's talk about DDP for a second, because he's also one of the best. Uh, so he he his character was originally that he was a dirtbag rich guy who got rich off the lottery, and so he, he's a complete dirtbag. And, but he wasn't good to his wife who left him for the booty man. She's the booty babe. And I just got to say nothing, nothing shows more dignity for a character than his wife leaving him for a man who calls himself the booty man. Very dignified character here. Moment here. Uh, David did, did lost you lost your audio there. Yeah, David, I got I got no audio from you at all. You're Oh boy, we're doing great today. Okay. Anyway, DDP, uh, any, lost any, his any, wife anyway, to the booty man. Very yeah, yeah, respectable. Yeah, yeah. And, and and extra dignified that she then took up the mon- moniker of the booty babe. Yes. Be beautiful. So, apparently, so much dignity. Apparently, she got all the money in the divorce. So for a while there, DDP was like kayfabe homeless, but he, he's picked himself back up, and he's he's kind of actually on an upswing in a babyface kind of way. He's not there yet, but he's going to be like uh, the biggest babyface in this company. <laughs> oh, or one uh, of, I should say. Oh, okay. Uh, home, home, homes man being a main character—that's that's cool and progressive, mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. And then he was tag teaming with the Barbarian to defeat Meng. They are those two are the. Um... Holy shit! I forgot their tag team name. But anyway, they're kind of like just generic, like invincible monster dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's not a whole lot to them. Big beefy boys. Big beefy boys, yes. And Meng teamed with Hugh Morris. Can you uh, understand uh, the joke there? Oh, why? Oh, these. Oh. I know WCW is very loved. Off the bat, some of these gimmicks I know are just going to make me want to pull my teeth out. Not great, no. Uh-huh. Uh, then you got uh, Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train. Uh, them some big beefy boys who like throwing people around. They're great. Uh, I I do enjoy do enjoy some big beefy boys who throw each other around. 
they beat Big Bubba Rogers. That's the big boss man from WWE who was a cop that was a babyface. And now he's this, and he's basically the same thing. <laughs> he's basically still doing the character, but now he's Big Bubba Rogers. Legally distinct. <laughs> yeah. And he beat, and they beat Stevie Ray. There's Booker T's partner. And then uh, the most interesting storyline beat of this first round of the Lethal Lottery was Ric Flair and Randy Savage were a tag team against Arn Anderson and Eddie Guerrero. Okay, first problem. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson are a team together as part of the Four Horsemen, along with Chris Benoit. And Brian Pillman was in the group, but by this point he left for WCW, for WWE. So right now there's only three of the four. There's only three horsemen in a Four Horsemen name. Whatever. Not important. Uh, uh that... Not him. Not 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 him. Not important. Right now, it's not important that there's only three horsemen, but they're called the four horsemen. That's not important. Uh, it's, I, I, take take a preguntas. <laughs> what is important is that these days, uh, Ric Flair is on a quest to fuck some wives because he comes out to the ring with woman. You know, Nancy Benoit, who is kayfabe established as Chris Benoit's wife, and he has sex with her. And Miss Elizabeth, who he stole from Randy. And apparently, Elizabeth got all the money in that divorce as well. So Ric Flair is currently blowing his way through all of Savage's money as well. (laughs) Does that make Chris Flair a gold digger? little bit uh (laughs) so him and savage are not on good terms (sighs) and so flair and anderson are like fuck this even though i know we're on separate teams but what we're we're gonna team up and beat up the other two guys Uh, so they they even though they're on opposite teams of this tournament, they beat the shit out of Savage and Eddie Guerrero, who's kind of like just kind of an up and coming uh, baby face in the cruiserweight division, is like, "Hey, hey, bro, what what are you doing?" And so they beat him up, and Sa- Savage and Flair get the win. That, that's how nice. that ends. Nice. And but we'll come back to that. So then we have the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, Dean Malenko versus Brad Armstrong. Uh, Dean Malenko is the cruiserweight champion. He's He is the Iceman, the man of a thousand holds. The, basically, the idea is that he is like an emotionless, like always focused guy, and also he knows all the moves, and he will beat you because he knows all the moves. Uh, all the moves? That, that's, yes. a, that's a that's a big claim. That's a big claim. I, I mean, expect again, to see. He knows a thousand holds, David. I, that's a I lot ex- of holds. I expect. Wait, wait. Okay, I can't tell if this is a like kayfabe meme or not. I mean, kayfabe. He is the man of a thousand holds, but he is legitimately an extremely talented technical wrestler. Oh, so. okay. Then cool. Then cool. They're 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 actually putting their money where their mouth is. I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, was then, like, I was like, I expect to see some friggin' variety if they're going to claim this. Yeah. And then Brad Armstrong is just kind of like a he, he's kind of a generic guy. I don't really know. He, he doesn't really have much of a character. He's there to lose to Malenko and have a good match, but lose. Uh, yeah. Then, next round of the Lethal Lotteray, uh, Dirty Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton beat uh, VK Wall Street and Jim Duggan. Uh, the Public Enemy beat Ric Flair and Randy Savage by forfeit, because what happened was, is that 
you know, they come back out and, and Randy Savage is like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get payback for that time. You beat my ass in the last match. <laughs> so he took Ric Flair out of the equation. So there's basically nobody. So they just kind of win by forfeit on that one. Yep. 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 Okay. That's, but, that's, that's a, that's a way to go when you have like such huge stars. Okay. But don't worry, Ric Flair is in a whole other feud because not only is he, he's already got two wives, but he would like wife number three. <laughs> where, as he is targeting the wife of Steve Mongo McMichael. Uh, Mongo Mc, never mind that shit, here comes Mongo. Mongo McMichael is a former football star who became a WCW commentator. He's kind of good, but he's transitioning into being a wrestler too. And so... Ric Flair challenges Mongo to McMichael to a tag match with him and Anderson versus Mongo and a friend of his choice. And Flair tries to goad him into picking like some retired football player. That's the goal. But then Mongo's like, I already thought ahead of that, my friend. And here's my number one draft pick. And it is Kevin Green. I don't expect you to know who that is. Mm -hmm. But Kevin Green was basically an all-pro football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he just signed with the Carolina Panthers. You see that? And the point is, he he was legitimately a then-star NFL player. Like... They didn't. He didn't get some old at some old retired guy. He got like a currently active football player to get in the ring with him. Yeah. And so Flair was like, "Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! I didn't say. Yeah, I said retired players only." And, <laughs> and everyone was like, "No, you didn't. You said anybody." <laughs> <laughs> that wording. You gotta be. You gotta be specific. If you. If I've learned anything. <laughs> Um, from bullshit deals on pro wrestling is that they'll catch you on technicalities every time they have the receipts they do yeah so they're they're building towards the next pay-per-view a tag team match between the four horsemen and uh, mongo mcmichael and kevin green mm-hmm. which will be interesting i'm sure anyway then uh, the last match of the Lethal Lottery Tournament, Tag Team Tournament, DDP uh, and the Barbarian beat Rick Steiner and the Booty Man. Thank God. <laughs> and then we cut to the WCW United States Championship match between Conan and, Lu- and Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, I was expecting more oh, of a reaction on oh, Conan, David. Well, 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 we see I him mean, all the time. I mean, I mean yes, it's... It's so, oh god, this is one of those things where kayfabe kind of fucks with my head. Because, like, I, Conan, like, is in, in, in you know, Lucha Underground is such a dick. Um, and here he's, and, a, he's, he's a heroic Mexican wrestling hero. Oh, he is? Because I was going to say, like, I was going to say, are we going to get right more now. of him being, like, this, like, this, like, this, like, uh, uh, like clout, clout-hungry dick? No, he's not a dick yet. Okay. Okay. I can, I can roll with that then. I'm also surprised to see him like, I guess I shouldn't be like, like I, I'm surprised to see him like more stateside in like the, the, the nineties rather than, rather than, um, you know, in, in like South America doing, doing like, he has a pretty big run in, in, in the United States in WCW. Oh, really? Yeah. Very big run of his career. I, I assumed, see, I assumed he's one of those like pre-established, um, uh, um, l- like more l- like straight up luchador guys that they brought in uh for for lucha, but 
all right, he's here, and if he's a heroic baby face, I will look past how much he annoys me in the kayfabe of, well, not not annoys me, like, it, again, kayfabe makes me, like, legitimately dislike him because he's such a dick to Puma, but but here, I will look past that. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's do some Conan. Yeah, and Jushin Thunder Liger, also known as possibly the greatest light heavyweight in the history of, J- of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is a legend, and he was one of the guys that uh, that New J- that WCW brought over. I haven't talked about it yet because I haven't really talked about the cruiserweight division, but basically, Eric Bischoff's idea was is what we're going to do is we're going to get all the best wrestlers we can find from Mexico and Japan and like even like the United North America, all the smaller wrestlers. And we're going to have just this baller ass cruiserweight division doing, letting them go wild and just show their insane athleticism, show people stuff they've never seen before on American TV. And Liger was a part of that. Rey Mysterio Jr. is a part of that. He's going to be on. He's, I don't know if he's on this show, but he's going to be on this, in this arc. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you're probably gonna be exposed Jesus, to quite a few Jesus, like luchadors. I forget, I forget how old Rey Mysterio is. Oh yeah, dude's ancient. Yeah, uh, and still talented as all shit because of course he is. Um, okay, that see that I'm that that gets a reaction because that makes me really happy. More Mysterio, always please. No, but Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Jushin Liger. Uh, even Conan in a little bit was just this idea of we're going to have this big influx of like foreign talent that are so good and better than the, than anyone in the American audience has ever seen before. Mm-hmm. That was, that was a big plan by Eric Bischoff to differentiate himself from the WWF. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yes. It is awesome. Do good. Sh- oh, cruiserweight to the best. Yes. Oh God. I'm so okay. I'm, I'm excited now. Yeah. Uh, all right. The 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 end of the lethal lottery. They have the the battle bowl match, and Diamond Dallas Page wins. Thank God. He's the only guy. He's the only guy in the in the final that's like not shitty and is kind and is good enough to be in the world title picture. He wins the match, but there's controversy because he wins the match. Because he wins the match, but earlier in the match, he is thrown out of the ring and one foot touches the floor. And so, but the ref missed it. And so it's this whole big controversy that, Hey, Hey pal, you, you were eliminated. You shouldn't have won, mm-hmm. which is so weird to me because I'm used to the WWE rules of two feet must touch the floor. <sighs> but we must so differentiate. That, like, you know, different rules, different company. I get it, but it's kind of weird to be like, Oh, one foot and he's out. That's, that's actually a rule here. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah. So they strip him of the, on Nitro the next night, they strip him of the WCW uh, number one contendership and give it to Lex Luger for reasons, I guess. And DDP's irate about it. <laughs> He's like, this is bullshit. The ref didn't see anything. I, was, I wasn't eliminated. <laughs> so the main event is the giant, uh, you might know him more as the big show oh! is the WCW champion. And he beat the man called sting. Oh, oh, oh face me boy. 
Yes. Uh, so the giant, uh, why is he called the giant? Is because uh, if we want to cycle back a little bit to talk about the Dungeon of Doom, and I really don't want to, but I kind of have to to explain his origins. The Dungeon of Doom was basically a bunch of cartoony fucks that they created to give Hulk Hogan guys to beat up. It's very, it's not, it was reviled at the oh. time. And probably the best thing about it was the debut of the giant. And they tried to play this off as the, the, as the, the giant was the kayfabe son of Andre. The giant. Uh, that feels kind of yucky. Yeah. It's, it's, we just kind of skip past it, uh. but he wears the singlet and that's oh. about it. To be fair, he does not. He doesn't otherwise really act like Andre. Thank okay. God. Points for restraint. Um, I I mean that's kind of funny because the singlet is something Big Show carried throughout his career. That's true. Yeah, it is. Like that's. But that. Yeah, he always wore. He pretty much always wore like the singlet like that until he added a second strap. I think later in his career. But yeah, that's where he got it from. Is when he was the kayfabe son of Andre. So he wore the same singlet. As Andre the Giant war. Mm. Okay. And so he did end up breaking away from the Dungeon of Doom when it kind of collapsed because Hulk Hogan beat up, beat up, beat all of them up and made them look like goobers. So they're like, well, <laughs> any move, anyway. <laughs> I mean, kudos to a 90s audience for correctly recognizing that jobber squashes are shit. It wasn't even jobber squashes. It was way too many competitive matches. What? Oh, interesting. Okay. Weird then, just weird. Yeah. So, but the Giant in his first match on WCW TV, he beat Hulk Hogan to become WCW champion. And the less I talk about Halloween Havoc 95, the better right now. Huh? Spoiler warning, part of it involves a monster truck fight. And, and I'll say nothing else about that. Oh. Okay, that's that's a, that is a decision to make for a wrestling show, indeed. Yep. Quite. Anyway, the giant is the champion, and then he's taking on the man called Sting. I'm gonna reference that theme song a lot. He has a theme song right now that is like the man called Sting, <laughs> and it's really catchy and it has fun lyrics like he does this, he does that. He's quick as a bull and no, he's big as a strong he's big as a bull and he's quick as a cat. It's great. That's, I love it. Oh. It's such 90s cheese. It's amazing. Oh my god, that sounds delightful. Because right now he isn't emulating the crow. Right now he is like the surfer bro sting. He's still got face paint though. But he's like <laughs> the cool he's like the cool good guy in WCW, man. <laughs> he's still got face paint though. <laughs> But oh it's my all God. colorful. It's not black. He's not a moody emo yet. It's not, all like he's not a moody emo yet. I'm very excited to see like color palette sting. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. So the thing with Sting is that him and Lex Luger are bestie friends forever for realsies, and they are the tag team champions. Mm -hmm. Except nobody trusts Luger, and Luger's probably gonna betray Sting. So the most enduring character trait about Sting is that he trusts everyone too easily and gets betrayed. Case oh, in no. point, and I find that endearing. He sees the best in everyone, David. <laughs> 
Anyway, so he's best friends with Stan Luger, and he's constantly vouching for him, even though Luger, when he showed up in WCW, within five minutes of being there, turns on his friends to join the Dungeon of Doom. And then he left the Dungeon of Doom, and so Sting's like, it's all good now, right? We're all good. And everyone's like, dude, Luger is still going to turn on you. <laughs> it's going to turn on you again, because this is what he does. Yeah. This is the Sting and Luger relationship. Is that they are con- they are Sting always believes the best in Lex Luger, and Lex Luger kind of jumps back and forth between being an actual good friend and a no good backstabbing asshole. Oh well, I mean, I mean, you know what? It's now justified for me to not like Lex Luger, so I'll take it. Yeah, so. You know, there was a controversy in the championship match where uh, Luger and Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart manages um, the Giant right now, uh, is that they were fighting over the megaphone and then it accidentally hits Sting. And that's a big reason why he loses. Uh. And and so right now all the babyface commentators are like, it was an accident. What are you talking about? And then you got the heel commentators being like, see, Luger's a traitor. <laughs> He's going to turn on Sting any day. Wait, oh wait, oh, they're probably celebrating that, aren't they? Though if they're, they are, they're, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our sneaky son. <laughs> yeah, so like they're the tag team champions, but it feels like any day now it's just gonna. It's just a question of when, not if. Here. Uh yeah, well, it's it's you know the, the, the prolonging the inevitable or just well, I yes, guess waiting any, for the inevitable. So after I spent too long explaining the history of WCW and too long explaining WCW where we're at now, let's talk about Scott Hall. Let's talk about the NWO finally. So the NWO idea basically came from can, right within six days of each other, Razor Ramon and Diesel, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, their contracts came up in WWF. And Eric Bischoff saw an opportunity to take to steal away two of WWF's biggest stars in '96, and so he offered both of them. Uh, you're, this is some insane shit. I'm going to tell you this. Mm. Is first he offered them seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, guaranteed. Wow, that is absurdly high money in wrestling at that point in time. Yeah. Especially because in the WWF, Vince McMahon believed fully in being like, I'm giving, I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity. So in the WWF at this point in time, they had relatively low guaranteed money, but mm-hmm. a, but you know, limitless potential to make more money. <clears throat> yeah. Through, you know, merchandising and working shows and blah, 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 blah. It's interesting that, yep. WCW would go ahead with with like big um uh superstar payouts like that. Um their 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 thought process was we got Ted Turner's b- bankroll in us here. Let's go ahead and give the big stars the big money deals to steal them away. I see. So um I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's good. And that's smart. It's mm-hmm. just interesting because like, you know, despite, you know, more WWE was in the mid nineties, they're still in, you know, historically the, the, the financially stabler company. So mm-hmm. WCW taking a risk like that sounds like big, like and, big, and like, to be fair, it paid off. You know, they signed away oh, absolutely. Savage Luger Hall and Nash. And like it, it paid back dividends but for them a to do that. Risk in a way. 
it was a pretty big risk. And not only that, so 750,000 a year guaranteed. Maximum 180 dates was another big one. So, you know, in WWF, they, these guys could be working 200, 250, 300 days a year. Mm-hmm. In WCW, they work a maximum 180 days a year. Half year. For $750,000. And, and both of them saw this as like, they're, they're both were starting to raise families. And so this, so like the financial security and more time at home was a huge, huge um, incentive for them. And then the, 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 the infamous clause in both of their contracts, the favored nations clause. Oh, so the favored nations clause was if anybody in WCW signed for more favorable terms than they currently had. So more than $750,000 a year, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were instantly, uh, were instantly given a pay raise to match that. Ooh. They, in their contract, they would always be the most paid people in WCW, regardless of what anyone else's contract was. Oh my, what? That's, that's insane. It what? is. I mean, I get that they were kind of big, but, and, and, but, but like, that's a, that's a level of that. I like that's, that is, I don't even know if I want to call that a risk. That is, that is. That sounds like just a a stick of dynamite waiting to explode. Yeah, uh, their contracts became albatrosses by the end. <laughs> for that reason, is you got to give them a lot of money <laughs> when you don't have money. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh. Oh wow. Just you wait till we get to Hogan's contract later in the. But not <laughs> Hogan's contracts are stupid. <laughs> at some so, point. So. To to wrap my head around this, th- that's that's like that is like you are the main character of this company, like like not in only in, pay, like, in terms of financial structure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say not in terms of like like you know traditional TV narrative, but like but like we are copying to you guys as like the most like like the VIPs. That's 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 nuts. That is such a such a crazy thing to bank on. Wow. Yep. Uh, you could argue it was a bit overpaying the oh, the favored <laughs> nations clause. You probably didn't need that to get them to sign, but like they took that deal and it it was very. And yeah, I why can't say you? that the NWO was a bat was a mistake. <laughs> no, it really wasn't. But oh my god, that yeah, a little overkill maybe. But oh, okay. Yeah, and so to kind of wrap up our our first half here, finally. Oh. Um, <laughs> Is that, you know, this is the episode is the debut of Scott Hall. And I can't say anything more about it without kind of spoiling how this goes. So mm. just know that that's what this is, this episode is. This is the May 27th, 1996 episode of WCW Monday Nitro. To tell you where we, you can find this, you can find where we're watching it on Peacock.tv. To Peacock TV. Dot com uh, it, under the WWE section. You can also find it on the WWE Network if you are outside of the U.S. or you feel like trying to use a VPN. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Peacock is seven ninety nine is five excuse me four ninety nine a month with ads nine ninety nine a month without ads. 
uh, okay, I just lost connection there for a second, so I'm going to repeat that, is uh, Peacock TV is $4.99 a month with ads, $9.99 a month without ads, and the WWE Network is $9.99 a month uh, plus the cost of the VPN. So many of them are free, some aren't. It's kind of up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, I must apologize for, for advertising things behind a paywall, but I can't help this. Yeah. Uh, you can search YouTube, Daily Motion, stuff like that. You can probably find the episode. Um, but yeah. Or matches. Yeah, or matches. You can absolutely find the Scott Hall debut, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's that's the nice thing about, about, like, about this, is at the very least, like, even if, like, full episodes are hidden behind paywalls, we cover a lot of, like, matches that you could probably very easily find on YouTube. Yeah, we cover the bit, we cover really big stuff that you mm-hmm. can easily at least find that part. Yep. But anyway, yeah. Uh, whew. Hour or longest first half in a while. It took me an hour. Long time. A lot. Yeah. Sorry about. Sorry about that, viewers. <laughs> yeah, uh, we are gonna now watch. Go watch WCW. Alrighty. You guys in the back half. And we are back. Hey yo, we just watched the May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety six episode of WCW Monday Nitro. We didn't. We didn't watch no WWE. We watched Nitro. Oh God. Okay. Uh, I to 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 kick this off. I would like to. Uh, I would like to make a a request, my dear co-host. Uh, um, shake up the format a little. Uh, for for two reasons. One, because our 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 uh first half was was uh rather uh was rather long. And two, yeah. because I as a um a kind of going back to my noobish roots. Um, uh, WCW is a foreign land to me. Um, uh, that we, instead of going quite as play by play as we usually do, I instead want to, like, while touching on, like, you know, the stuff that happens in the episode, mm-hmm. kind of broader examine just off the bat initial impressions about the. The, the the ways in which this is very a very different beast than the WWF was at the time. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, it helps that honestly, not a lot happens on this episode except for the big thing. But I think yeah. I think it's an enjoyable episode otherwise. But that that there's a very clear eighth plot here. Yeah, it, it was. Um, and what was it, I I had this feeling while watching it like there weren't huge standout moments for me in this episode like when it came to the fighting but every fight I watched I was content with mm-hmm. um and that's kind of like off the bat what I want to highlight I mean big big difference from you know what we've been talking about with like the new generation of roughly this era is oh my god these matches um the nitro here um has very much succeeded in making itself feel viscerally different than what WW, uh, WWF did at the time. It moves so quick. Like, it, it's so much more fast-paced. Uh, and in a lot of ways, a lot of the, a lot of the hits, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the you know, works that happened here, that I felt greater impact on a more consistent basis. These fights um, for you know, watching the WWF struggle week after week, whenever we do the goddamn new generation, they make, you know, wrestling in this era look effortless and make good wrestling in this, uh, 
in this era look effortless. Like I said, no huge stand, big, big, big standout moments for me, but like just all throughout, I was like, I am solidly entertained by yeah. all of this. Yeah, I think to that point, there there be no jobber squashes around here. No, there be none, and it was great. Like WCW, that was very much a choice they decided to make, and that they were kind of the reason why WWF got away from it, is because they you can't compete. I mean, see what you, WCW's see. throwing out all their big matchups. Like you can't you can't have you know. Uh, I don't want to say Diesel because he's literally leaving. Uh, Shawn Michaels versus Dipshitty McDoo <laughs> on the other channel. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what, what what's? I mean, we've 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 talked about this before, but in this episode, I saw firsthand. You know, after after we've discussed it so much, and you know, theoretically, just how much, um, you know, for as fraught as the history of WCW is how much the decisions they made really did serve to give WWF a kick in the ass run for its money that made it like um um critically restructure everything it did to lead to the much more successful corporation that it is today mm-hmm I'm like I'm seeing that immediately. The the lack of jobber squashes, the more entertaining um the the, the more consistently entertaining fights. Um even the the uh um the, the the story beats, they don't feel weirdly simultaneously nonchalant and dragged way too out like they do in, in WWF. Um uh, there's a higher production value. The focus is put a lot on like uh, a simpler but sleeker aesthetic um, than whatever the hell WWF is like trying to cobble together week after week. Just everything about it, it's it's immediately made clear why this was such big competition for you know as brief as it was for the WWF and why it was kind of so integral in the latter's revival. Yeah, it it ha- I I kind of agree it has it, it's it's much more sleek it's a, it's a it's a simpler feel because WCW I think narratively it's a simpler feel. They're not they don't do the kind and they never win and they never really do. They they don't really try to do the kind of like more grandiose soap opera-y stories that WWE tries to do. No. Like there there's a lot simpler of like I'm a wrestler and I got personal beef with you or I want a tight because you're a piece of shit or I want a title. Like, I think the weirdest plot line in this ep is the, like the ongoing saga of Ric Flair stealing Ru- Savage's money. Yeah. But like, Elizabeth but, is probably but, the most like weird storyline in the whole episode. But even then that is communicated. Like, like this is what I'm really impressed with. They communicate that really clearly because I could see how this would play out in WWF and there would be like King's Court segments about it. And there would be like, um, there, there'd be like so much, like even more like mugging for the camera and the, the aesthetic would look more tacky because just WWE's aesthetic was bad. And it just feels like it'd be feel so much messier on that show. But here they do a good job at simply effectively communicating what's going on without without making it feel overwrought and I, I almost wonder if this is a similar um, kind of phenomenon to what we talked about when we when we um, 
covered AEW Dynamite, you know, ye back at the start of this podcast is because it doesn't have like the years and years and years of history that WWF does. It doesn't feel compelled to just make all the stories compound always constantly here. It has just a couple main threads that it's trying to run and all the rest is like, yeah, just watch some goddamn fighting. You, 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 uh, you heathens. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this has been, this has been WCW style, by the way, is uh, even back later in the eighties. Like, like you talk, like I think we talked about how like the in ring wrestling in in the in the eighties WWF left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, least, you, at least for our modern sensibilities. Yeah, I. But if you, um, I think if you go back to other stuff in this era, JCP included, like stuff holds up a lot better because that was that that was more focused on wrestling because mm. that's what this is. Mm-hmm. And and what's wild about it too is in terms of the way that the 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 fighting is is put on god wcw is almost ahead of its time because some of these matches it feels like you could turn you you could you could turn these wrestlers into like you know um modern renditions or just like you know modern wrestlers that exist you could like swap out the wrestlers here for like you know for your for your Roman Reigns's and and what have you, um, and if you kept all else equal, it wouldn't feel too you know too out of place on a on a um, on a Raw episode in 2021. Um, the pace is there, um, and the effective hits are there, and the sleekness is there. Something that WWF would struggle to kind of find in full for a long time like even even through like the 90s the late 90s the attitude era when they got really big that pace still wasn't always there there the wwf always felt like it was a little slower in 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 its execution of Mm -hmm. of work uh and i don't know why that is like what je ne sais quoi is at play here um but that impressed me like oh my god this feels ahead of its time physically Oh yeah, Fa- uh, really great, really great in-ring work on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and 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 they and stuff had time to be good. Like we we talked about last time we were in the Attitude Era. Like there was like one match longer than five minutes. Mm-hmm. This match had three matches longer than ten minutes. Yeah, and all of the, none of them felt rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's that's kind of the ironic thing here is um is wwe uh wwf you know whatever whichever they are in in whatever time period they they tend to and and this is this is you know less so in the modern era um but they tend to have shorter matches because they like to cram a lot of a lot into their card um this uh, but 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 despite despite the 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 fastness of that, um, the 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 how how quickly the matches last, um, there's this like sometimes like slightly more sluggish feeling to the fights. Whereas here they're a lot longer, but that pace is kept up pretty much throughout. Aside from the times where they're deliberately trying to to interrupt that pace, yeah. um, um, which. Again, say what you want for what a mess this this company was behind the scenes. Um, someone there knew, really knew what they were doing with putting with putting uh, putting fighting fake fighting on air. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I saw that. I saw that. In, I saw that in every match. Um, all of a sudden, I don't. I, I'm. I'm. You know, not unimpressed with with Lex Luger. Um, you know, he's he's putting out good work. The the lame gimmicks. I don't care You're about. On the Lex well. Yeah, I, the la- and I mean it helps that he's not so much America. The lame gimmicks. I don't care. Uh, I don't care about as much because they all fight well. Ric Flair. Now I, I I immediately understand why everyone like loves Ric Flair. He was a revelation, um, um, both in how he acted as a character and in ring. Like clearly a lot mm-hmm. of talent there. Um, um, and this is like, and this is clearly this is like past his peak, Flair. Really, this yeah, is past by, his ni- by ninety six. He was in that mode of like play. He's in the in, if he was a rock band, he's in the I'm playing the hits mode. You could have fooled me. Yeah, dude. it's. He, the 70s and 80s was Flair's peak oh as, a rest, as an in-ring performer. Well, then all the more credit to his longevity. Um, um, uh, Sting really impressed me, and I know I know Sting's good. I've never seen a Sting thing ever. Um, Sting, it it, it feels kind of weird to say Sting feels like he could be a modern wrestler because he literally is. But like, but Sting, Sting. Um, could re- sting clearly like is one of those who can hold his own with with, with the greats um um baby big show was so cool to watch just everything all the everything that was presented here um felt felt a satisfying watch that's that's what I will term this experience here. Like there were certainly plenty of things in this episode I groaned at just because I groaned so hard at so many of the like '90s sensibilities of these sorts of things. But but like when you get down to the nuts and bolts of what was going on there, satisfaction is the word that comes to mind. Oh yeah, there's it was a I, I had a lot of fun and I I agree with all your points. There's is a you know Flair is amazing even 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 it by '96. You got Sting is incredible, and honestly, I love Surfer Sting. I he's kind of he forgotten. Seems so much fun. He's kind of forgotten about because like emo boy Sting mm-hmm. is gonna blow up yeah. real hard, but and he's never really and so he's never really gone back to being like Surfer Bro, but Surfer Bro Sting is a is a very fun like just white meat good guy. He seems like a delight, and again, he's not—he's not brought down by a lot of weird baggage. Um, they just do a good job at presenting him straightforward. They play so much of this straightforward and shocker. Wow, that's such a key to making this like really work. Is like you don't need to do seven layers of bullshit. You can just play it straight, and it's fine. Well, you know, as straight as like progressors will play yeah. it, but like. Like you know. for Sting, the only level of bullshit is his his ongoing troubles with Luger and whether he can be trusted and whether Luger can be trusted. Yeah, but that's now such he, a simplistic he fucking up. That's such a that's such a simple have. premise. That's a, that's mm-hmm. such a simple premise, and again, not something that's too harped on. They touch on it, and that's that's that. And we can we'll see how it continues to play out because you know they they just they just do little things again clear effective communication well so then so then since you're you know obviously far more familiar with this kind of whole shebang than i am why what do you think it was like what was in the water at wcw that kind of that kind of led to this 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 ability to so effectively differentiate themselves from uh, from wwf and what they presented 
I mean, I, w- I would probably, I, I think that Bish- Eric Bischoff was, was a huge creative pr- proponent. And a lot of this, I think, is a lot of the in-ring stuff is very much, I think, like a progression of what WCW already was doing in that it was already a really good company in-ring. That really was never a problem. <laughs> yeah. it, it was always, you got a guy at the ship who isn't always doesn't always know what they're doing doesn't know the bow from the stern yeah right and so now you got a guy who's who's focused he has he does help a lot kevin sullivan i think is also a, a pretty smart booker at this point in time because he's he's making a lot of these matches too and i think i just think bischoff had a clear vision of like what he wanted wcw to look like and this is what he wanted it to look like yeah i mean i mean that's 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 fair and I mean, kudos to him on following through. Like, it sounds so simple when you say it like that, but as we... But it's so hard, because you have... Because, like, first of all, you have to have this kind of vision. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like he's he's doing... St- like, the stuff he was doing is is a little... Was a little weird. Is, uh, we, we, what, I guess I think that he was always... T- he was always TVPG. It wasn't truly PG-13. But it was, like, more on the edge of that than yeah. WWF ever does. And so he's got that idea and you're like, I don't know, Eric, we've never real like, you know, you know, wrestling has always been biggest as a family thing for the for the for the kids and all that. And you know, bringing in these like technically gifted or high-flyingly proficient talents from all over the world and just kind of throwing them on TV and trusting that your audience is going to buy into it. Well, I I I have to wonder too. Like I like thinking about this and you know, they're they're presenting as more gritty and for adults, yada, yada, but but it doesn't manifest in some like cringe lord nineties way. Like we're not on some like Vince Russo shit here. This is I almost wonder if part of the kind of magic here is it doesn't feel like pandering. Because sometimes that's really what it feels like WWF did. Um and, and don't get me wrong, WCW fell into some of these traps too, like with, you know, how they're playing up Hogan and yada, yada, yada. But like with the main things we're focusing on, because they're, they they don't take more adult to be, let's do edgy bullshit. They take adult to be... We gotta start swearing and showing the boobs. Yeah, no, they take adult to be, let's treat this as if it were like, you know, a, a grown-ups like legitimate sports show sort of thing mm-hmm. um again god it, it sounds so simple and obvious when i say it out loud but the fact that it wasn't in that era is what makes this kind of so mind-blowing is that they they unlocked this seemingly very simple formula um for success in a time when people were just floundering around not even knowing where to find the damn key yeah i would definitely and, um, and I think just, I, yeah. you continue. No, just it just it just feels like they're really like respecting their audience and not feeling the need to like be like we got to dangle you know three you know three hundred different shinies in front of them at the same time to keep their to keep their focus. Yeah, but they I think they did dangle one shiny in front of us here. Well, yes. Which of course is is uh the unnamed Scott Hall. Ha. Which I I want to Who's totally to- not Razor Ramon, guys. Don't call him Razor Ramon. We promise it's not Razor Ramon. 
Right. So I think now is a good, now that we've I, I was coy about it in the first half because I feel like you needed to just experience what this they, what they debut was. Yeah. And honestly, this was such a stroke of I feel like the whole thing was just this amazing stroke of genius and how it was presented. Absolutely. Um, is that so? What happens is we're having a match between uh, the Mauler and Steve Dahl. No, you shouldn't care about either of them. They're they're there to have an excuse for something to be happening when St- Scott Hall interferes because that's the big thing is that is that and, and that this uh, these early episodes of the NWO's birth really leans into the idea that it's not Scott Hall, it's Razor Ramon that showed up. Yeah, they they don't want you to believe. That, that Scott Hall was released from his contract in WCW, in WWF, and he signed with the WCW, and now he's wrestling for them. They want you to believe that Razor Ramon of WWF invaded WCW for the sole purpose of, of um, causing chaos, of invading the show, starting a war, Chico. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, uh, you know you you need to include the 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 uh, the, the the toothpick so the, there through the toothpick. Yeah, and it starts with the way he first shows up mm-hmm. when he's just walking through the crowd and jumps the barricade and just walks into the ring. You know, no music, no introduction. He doesn't. He's not dressed to wrestle. Everyone's just like, "What the hell?" The announcers are like, "What? What is this guy doing here?" Yep. Like they really sell the idea that this guy isn't supposed to be here. What what is happening? But the match abruptly ends. Like mm-hmm. the battle between two guys I don't care about. Yeah, it kind of ends. Like they both just leave because they don't know what to do. Some dude who's not from this company just showed up. Not remotely. So like, what are we gonna do? And then he he cuts this very famous you know promo of you know you don't you know who I am, mm-hmm. and, but you don't know why. I'm here. And he cut, he, 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 he references uh, the WWF's hilariously stupid skits, trying to make fun of WCW as Ted Turner being, he doesn't know how to do anything except buy old stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that, and that Hogan and Savage and the like are just a bunch of geriatrics out there. He calls for billionaire Ted, the nacho man. Steve Gene, Scheme Gene, <laughs> which I'm I'm gonna be on. I'm we're we're kind of spoiling this this part of the journey, but I feel like almost everyone who knows this story already knows it, so it's it's not it's hard to not already know where this 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 story builds to. Yeah, I mean it's but, obvious, right? But it's interesting that like he runs down the people and he doesn't mention the huckster, which was the Hogan joke, and so your first hint at who the third man is because he, he runs down all the old, old dudes that, that they made fun of and with billionaire Ted, but they, he doesn't say Hogan. Mm-mm. He doesn't make fun of him. And so he, then he ends with the line of you want a war, you got it. And he, he really plays up because the idea is that, you know, the Monday night wars, the ratings war, like he 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 they play him perfectly as this invading force. Always very careful to not say his name because huh. here's the, because they walk 
that very thin line. And next time we're here, I'll talk more about this. But they walk this very thin line of making him so obviously Razor Ramon. <laughs> but they know that's a violation of trademarks. So, so we're just going to not name him and say that that's pure coincidence. Like, legally. In the legal yeah. realm, they're like, what? <laughs> what? No. That's not Razor. I mean, they they have a trademark on the name. They don't have a trademark on the, the depiction of a weird Scarface knockoff. Ah, you see, there's the legal. That's the legal argument of confusing the market. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're gonna be like, no, he's he's not he's not Razor Ramon. He's he's, he's Scott. He's, he's Scott Hall. He's, he's, we're not gonna we haven't said on TV Scott Hall, but, but it's it's Scott Hall. Don't it's Scott Hall. Yeah, don't worry about it, guys. Yeah, it's, he's totally not Razor. We promise. Um, yeah, and then but you know they spend the whole rest of the episode after he shows up in about the halfway about the quarterway point of the show, uh, just just being like we we, we you may have heard. That 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 some that an outsider or something to that effect has shown up on our TV and, and and attacked us, and we want to apologize to the viewer for his comments, and especially when Bischoff gets there because he also calls out Eric Bischoff, calling him a Ken doll wannabe. And once Bischoff gets in the booth, now he's like, well, you know, he can say whatever he wants about me. I'm right here. He he can talk to me face to face if he wants. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the show, as they're as they're closing off, he does come back. And he reiterates a lot of his same points, but he also is clear to emphasize we. He makes sure that everybody knows he's not alone. Mm-mm. He's got more buddies coming. It's This is only the beginning. And it's implied to be three because he's like, you can tell billionaire Ted to bring three of his best and we'll settle it in the ring. Absolutely. Just over, just fantastic like a fantastic like scripting here and and just direction of like how to portray this character in the way that you're lo- trying to do it like fantastic work mm. i mean yeah you you have summed this up so beautifully in how effective this was um like i could tell watching um that that promo play out I was like, oh, this is a famous promo, isn't it? Like, it, like it no, had that no, it feel is. to it. It had that feel to it, right? And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I think what it... You, you mentioned kind of how they brought him in. And I kind of had this moment with it where I'm watching the match and I noticed in the background there's a commotion in the audience. And I'm not entirely sure because I'm like you know, uh, I don't know what's going on here. Is there some dude walking down? Why are a lot of people standing up? And I'm like, oh, there must just be some weird shit going on with audience members. But then dude keeps going, and then he jumps the barrier, and then he starts coming closer. I'm like, oh my, wait, I know that face. Um, mm. So it was this really cool moment. If you weren't expecting it, if you didn't know to look for it, like I wasn't, all of a sudden, um, they do do a good job at like kind of throwing you for a loop. And like, you know, if you take more than two seconds to think about it, of course it's obvious that like he wouldn't be showing up here if he were, you know, if he were still on WWS payroll. Um, but they set the scene so well in that kind of like jarring way that you don't like either you don't take the time to think about it or you're it's so forgivable because like they again simply clearly 
effectively communicate something about the situation to their audience um, without like beating it down on you. Here is not Razor Ramon. Um, and he has decided to storm the stage and he wants war. And that's what we get. Um, and like, obviously again, we know what this leads to. We know this leads to, to new world order and Hulk Hogan, uh, Hulk Hogan heel turn. Um, but even knowing that I, I can so appreciate like the very deliberate ominousness with which this is done. Like, like you said, the writing was brilliant. It is, um, the way this was scripted, um, was very well done. The little hints they drop, um, the way they have him do his entrance, the way they have him show up again at the end. Um, it's, it, they, it's all, um, done in a way that you feel that like lingering presence, you know, throughout the episode after he first shows up. Um, and they, you know, they make sure to pay it off. So it's not just a one-time thing. They hammer home. This is going to be something important. Pay attention to it. But on top of that, I really have to give credit to Scott Hall too for his performance here. He doesn't oversell it. He is, he is, um, blunt, um, in what he says. Um, he is direct and everything. Um, but he doesn't go like, eh, this is war. He doesn't get super angry. He doesn't get aggro. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't monologue for way too long. He delivers a simple, clear message in a calm, deliberate, but direct, uh, and, and, you know, coy and threatening, uh, tone. Um, and that adds so much to the experience too, because from a performance side, um, he takes the material that he's given, um, and delivers it expertly, which is not a thing I um, would think to say about Razor Ramon up to this point. But I, he hopped on that mic. I'm like, damn, he did yeah. be good on that mic, though. And one other thought I had while you were talking about this, the way this is kind of, you know, him throwing out kind of like a work shoot mockery of the company. This is almost like a proto pipe bomb promo in some way. Um, and in a way, the pipe bomb promo uh, with a conclusion that's not going to feel, you know, wheel spinny and dumb. <laughs> um, so that is kind of a cool little bit of history, too, of like, you know, we after we spent a whole summer with Punk, all of a sudden we kind of see its its um, DNA um, flowing out in a kind of uh, um, ancestor, as it mm -hmm. were. And I definitely think I, I agree with you in that kind of proto pipe bomb kind of thing. I think that like, it's trying to go for the same kind of vibe that like I've seen it compared to, I've seen it. I think I, I, I liken a lot of wrestling to being especially like hot wrestling to being a lot like a magician's act in that, like everyone knowing in knows it's fake, right? Like no, nobody really believes that like oh, you're doing real magic here, but then you're in that moment. And you see him do that trick and you're like, holy shit, that's real though. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that like the best work shoots can give that similar effect of like, you know, everything, you know, that wrestling is fake, right? But this thing with Scott Hall though, that's real. Like this, this is a real invasion because he makes you believe that this is real. Yeah. The way he acts, the, what he says, what he does. 
makes you believe that like this isn't just some like hokey scripted wrestling crap. This is this is legit. And 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 it's funny because this is clearly the most tightly scripted thing on this episode. Um and is going to be a tightly scripted ginormous freaking arc. Um but th- because because the scripting despite how like d- controlled it was the fact that it was tight, um, the fact that that they knew what they were doing, they had plans. They clearly had plans. Um, the way the way it manifests does not feel like it's forced. Does not feel like it's artificial. Does not it does not feel like reading lines off a script. Um, and because it, they've given it that feeling. Of the with the with the tightness of the script, they're then able to get away with those little things of dropping those little hints that uh, and 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 having those little like subtextual things that now thirty you know twenty five years later um, is insanely delicious for people like us to um, to to step back and analyze. Oh my God! Look at everything they did because this isn't something that the average wrestling viewer of the time was going to notice. They weren't mm-hmm. going to like you know look back right on the 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 first um, Scott Hall promo and be like, oh, the lack of mentioning Hulk was clear foreshadowing. Aha! But the fact that they did that, despite that, you know, the little things, you know. Um, your brain, you, you may not have noticed it, but your brain does. Like that shows the level of care they put into this, and I think speaks to, oh my God, why the New World Order became the single biggest thing on wrestling TV in that era. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, it was just it was this was a revelation of a promo, mm-hmm. and. Because, a, I'm, because I'm assuming nothing like this had really been done before. Not not like this, no. Mm-mm. I can't think of any examples of this kind of of like this kind of thing, like of like this like pseudo invasion angle. Yeah. Like you've like invasion angles have happened before, but those are legitimately between two companies. It's not you're not trying to like pretend that this is happening. And yeah, try, like it, this is like this like. You're crafting an an inva- a crossover invasion arc out of nothing. Yeah, or or even or even just like some weird twisty kind of like unexpected work shoot um, meta commentary sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like like this, I feel like this is you know again with my limited knowledge of history. I'm gonna take a guess. I'm gonna take a guess that I feel pretty confident in that this is going a few layers deep than the normal, like the normal, like um, big ginormous story fair. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we have we have uh, Scott Hall is here, not Razor Ramon. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah, and he we know he's bringing more. Yeah, and Ooh, this is going to be our arc to follow bringing. through. Yeah, and and this is and this is the arc we we now get to follow for the rest of our time in WCW, which is so exciting mm-hmm. because because here's the thing for me um, to get kind of meta about our show is that WCW, the NWA, the NWO, these have been like like um, 
clouds that have been hanging over our show pretty much since day one. Um, not not like not not the very first episode, but as soon as we first talked about like Attitude Era, Austin was giving the rundown on some of this. Um, and so we are we are um, we've now finally reached it. And for me, what's exciting is it's been it's been this background character just waiting to pop out and now now that we're here and now that we're going to be finally doing this thing i feel like there's a piece of the puzzle that's going to fall into place over the over the course of our arc there like like we have this kind of like built up wrestling history um that with you that we've created by formatting the show like a little sampler platter um and exploring all these different eras all throughout time but there's this large chunk that's not there this large chunk of context that that uh, up until uh now for me has been totally inaccessible because it's the nwo because it's wcw and mm-hmm. so personally this is really exciting to now get to dig into and finally fill in the rest of that context so every every influence that it's clearly had on the rest of wrestling history despite its relatively short-lived tenure on air every ripple effect now is going to make so much more sense and i think that's what's going to be really exciting about this era yeah and i'm going to be excited to kind of experience it myself i've never really gone back and watched wcw so i'm i i just i know the history because i like to read into that kind of stuff but i've never really watched wcw era circa any era so mm-hmm. this is this is a new experience for me. Not even if I I already kind of know the plot beats. Yeah, I think we're in for a hell of a ride here. Mm-hmm. I could not be. Uh, I I I am definitely looking forward to this. This is definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, post and and that's that's the other thing too is like, um, is this being our replacement for the Attitude Era? Um, is really fun because. Um, 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 oh God, one more time. WCW commissioner, please. Uh, Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff. He almost feels in his writing like an anti Vince Russo where Russo loved to go like super convoluted and super like almost panderingly grim, dark, gritty, whatever. Um, and, uh, uh, Bischoff's ethos seems to be much more, um, let's craft, a, let's craft a straightforward story and figure out the exact ways to pull it off in a controlled environment to make it feel dynamic and exciting and authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 cool. Um, this is this is such a I, I think this is gonna be a wonderful breath of fresh air after uh, the many, um, frustrating excesses, I'll say, of the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. For as much as I, as much good things I had to say about yeah. the Attitude Era. Uh, speaking of excesses, Ric Flair, woo! Ric Flair, woo! Yeah, so I guess we just kind of like quickly run down through everything down. else that happened yeah. here. Yeah. Is, is we got, you know, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair beating the American males. American males. Extremely American generic name. Males. I gotta say, extremely generic name. I was pleasantly surprised with their work. Yeah, big Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs are all right. They they don't look like uh, they don't look like they'd be like 
particularly engaging wrestlers. No, they were good. They 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 were good. They held their own against legend Ric Flair. You know, even you know, past his prime legend Ric Flair, but still nonetheless legend legend. Um, so yeah, that was that was a pleasant surprise and uh, uh, was one of the first things that clued me into. Oh, this is, I think this is going to be good. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and they it was a match where they tried their hardest, but you know. The four mm-hmm. horsemen like a cheat, like to cheat, and they like four, to cheat a lot. Mm-hmm. So, four surrounded in gigantic air quotes. A uh, woman helping uh, Ric Flair <laughs> pick up the dub. Oh, oh, and heel Miss Elizabeth is so satisfying for me to see. Now, I'll, I will say she's still basically a sexy lamp, but it's just so nice to see her not like being being like a simp for Randy Savage's toxic bullshit that I'm. I don't even care. It's just so refreshing and everything I wanted. Hey, she got ah, to say please. words. She got to say words. More please. And now, uh, and then, uh, and then it ends with with Flair going absolutely mad. Yeah, as he's want to do. Yeah, <laughs> oh, he, he went he went off, uh, and his tag team partner sounds a weird amount like uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I noted that was fun. Mm-hmm. Good old Arn <laughs> Anderson. Arn Anderson. Yeah, and then you got um, Diamond Dallas Page and Sergeant Craig Pittman in a quick one. Quick little, little, little quickie. Again, they were both good. Pleasantly surprised by that. Hit him with the diamond cutter. <laughs> w. Yeah. Uh, before the world heavyweight title match, Shark had a backstage interview. He just screamed a lot. A uh, lot of shouting, and, and 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 good old Gene, who I guess they even poached WWF's commentators. Um, Gene looked very done with him, which was great. I love Gene's "I'm done with you" face. Yeah, and Shark just yelling about how he got he's been kicked out of the dungeon of doom, and now I'm mad about so it. Goofy. And then the giant kind of just beats the shit out of him, which is. Awesome. Oh my god, I love Big Show. Oh my god. And Big Show has hair. Big Show with hair. This is beautiful. This is art. He's so great. Yeah, must I love, be a weird time I, like, for you because Big Show's been bald for so long. I know. I know. I, I'm, I made the comment to Austin as somebody who uh, who is rather a fan of having flowing locks myself. Um, people like like Big Show who have like long who have long hair and then just yeet all of it make me very concerned that one day i'm going to like uh n- like smash my head into a brick wall and all of a sudden decide you know what i don't need hair anymore and just go totally <laughs> bald and god i hope that never happens um uh, um see i'm not offering great technical analysis here i just big show makes me happy i enjoy him oh 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 i did note something cool that while we were watching that i that i that i point out to austin is they show they show Big Show was what that he, he, was. He dumped he, Luger through the table. Yeah, he's, he slammed yeah, Luger. Yeah, he's, he's he's slamming Luger through some tables, and it was kind of a fun parallel to his like Mark Henry feud, where Mark Henry would just show up and just yeet people through tables in the audience to like you know f- to fuck with Big Show and get his attention. Um, so I don't know if like you know them doing that with the with the Mark Henry feud was intentional. Um, but if it was, great little. Uh, great little Easter egg guys. If it wasn't, well, it's still a fun like parallel to notice with the power of retrospect. Anyway, yeah. So, so Giant gets the win, and then Big Old Bubba Rogers shows up and starts starts shaving Shark's hair. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that was a thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why. Some Samson Delilah shit going on, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, then we get uh, Lex Luger versus Max. That's with two X X's because he's extreme. 
Max felt like he should have been a jobber, but then he was good. That, yeah, yes. you know, he, he, he wrestled Luger longer than the giant wrestled Shark. Yeah, he put up a fight. Now, what was stupid here was, was Luger spends a majority of that match getting dicked on, and then at the last second, he does a torture rack and all of a sudden, like, gets the dub. Um, don't Walk know. Walk a baby yeah. face comeback. <laughs> oh god um so (laughs) yeah that was that was um that was certainly interesting um not the most narratively sound but you know whatever everything else in this episode was so good i'll overlook it yeah and then and then luger gives an interview after the fact and gene's like is is he kind of pushes him on the whole like you you bet you basically got you you kind of it's kind of weird how you got this title match with the giant right like like you like they they disqualified ddp and then they just kind of handed it to you without you doing anything mm-hmm. and luger's like well i don't make the matches so what do you know uh, yeah <laughs> kind of being a dick about it yeah a little bit um but it's luger so welcome to you, you, you know what do you expect he can't be, he's, the he's, he's, a, he's an untrustworthy dick <laughs> anti-hero baby um yeah, bobby walker and brad armstrong uh Hard. I made fun of, of Bob Bobby Walker for having the nickname Hard Work. Yeah, that's um, that's, the, that's the best thing you can come up with, huh? Um, Bobby Walker was interesting to watch in this one because he had a couple attempts at like jumping up to the top rope and then just like kind of failed he both times. Like, to redo well, it a little bit. yeah, uh, rega- times. I mean, I mean, like, he he regained his balance both times, which is impressive. Like, if I attempted to do that and failed, I just face first yeah, on the mat yeah, yeah i'd be dead so <laughs> but so so his recoveries were cool and it was it was kind of cool to see like on-air botches like that that's not something we get to see a whole lot and it almost feels like a treat um in some ways um but he recovered from it well and still put out a good match overall and he got the dub right yeah he did he did beat he beat old brad hey he he he, he put in the hard work i'm so sorry oh, god damn it yeah <laughs> yes uh then uh in a in a technical technical uh moi match we get steven R- lord steven regal yeah and alex wright good old das wunderkin yeah that was that was another surprisingly good i would not imagine the pompous british asshole character to be a really engaging wrestler to watch because you know if that were in wwf it feels like it'd be really stupid but now, here Re- damn regal is, a, regal is a is a legend damn for good for reason good he is and the Wunderkind, the Funder, the Wunderkid got slapped around a lot of the time, but he still like you know put up a good fight. Um, what was interesting in this one is Regal getting Wunderkind into like an STF, and it. I I guess we're not allowed to really make fun of Cena for it anymore because no matter what, STF looks bad. Oh, Steiner um, and Sting is the one where it's really. Oh, bad. Steiner and Sting is never mind. I'll shut up. Um, but you get him in like a headlock sub- and submission of a kind. Oh, and yeah, he, that's and he what starts he's doing. open hand that's palm slapping saying. him in the, across the he, hand while he's doing it. He was really dedicated to getting Wonderkind uh to into like a submission for this one, not a not a pinfall. He was really going for that submission. Um and that was kind of a cool uh, just little touches to like divvy up matches to, to to differentiate matches, kind of give each one a distinct feel. So like so like Regal's um Regal's uh, 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 drive for making Wonderkin submit was uh was an interesting, uh, fun place to see the match taken. Um, and it was, <laughs> I got a nice laugh too, because like he he finally gets Wonderkin to submit, and like just like two kids in the audience stand up and start cheering. 
And then going back to that, because he gets he gets a post match uh, promo to kind of just rag on the roster. Mm. He, he sets it's fun because because Regal because Gene excuse me sets him up to do another anti America promo, and I'm like, oh god, oh yeah, here we go. But then he just he doesn't go he doesn't take that bait, and instead just shit talks like the other top guys in the company who just happen to be American. Like he calls, like he calls, um, he's, he calls the giant, like an escapee from, from Barney and Bay, from Bar, Barney and Bailey. Barnum and Bailey. Bar, yeah, that. Circus, Barnum and yeah. Bailey. He calls, he calls Sting a painted up clown freak. <laughs> like he just goes all in on how like, uh, he is the respectable one around here and he's going to become the world champion. So that you, so you people, how can <laughs> someone you can respect this champion? Okay, but am I crazy? D- the it's kind of felt like the audience was kind of positively receptive to it. Am I crazy? I thought I no, saw I, that. Yeah, I thought I, I noticed think, that they seemed weirdly into it. Yeah, they seemed a little bit into it, and they had to try to play that off of Gene being like, oh, "Some people are into you for some reason. I don't know." <laughs> and, so and Regal has to kind of like shit talk them, even though yeah. they like him, because that's that's the heel. That's the heel to do. You but people nah, I was all in on him, like yelling how bloody this bloody WCW and and calling people sunshine. Like, oh man, it's good to yeah. know that William Regal's like vocabulary has never changed. <laughs> I mean, it's a good. I, I I like hearing people angrily like insult other people by backhandedly calling them sunshine. So I'll take it. That's mm-hmm. I think that's fun and whimsical. You do you, Regal. Live your best life. Doing great. <laughs> And then in our in our main event, we get Scott Steiner and the man no, called Scott Steiner, Sting. Versus, Scott Steiner versus Sting. Um, dang! Like I said, Sting's great. Oh my God, Sting's great. Sting's a ton of fun. Um, I'm I really want to like watch his AEW stuff now. Uh, I r- make sure to catch him on on Raw or no, not Raw Dynamite. Um, I mean, he was on Raw for a second. He was on Raw for a hot second. Wasn't a great run, gonna be honest. Yeah, he he was on Raw for a hot second. But yeah, yeah. Either way, um, get him on, get him on Dynamite, and hear that, uh, or see see that good work because yeah, he was a ton of fun. Like he was he was just great to watch. And Steiner was really good too. Obviously, Steiner's another like big boy that's gone on to have a really like long career for good reason. The two of them together in ring, um. Just did a fabulous job playing off each, playing off each other the whole time. It was a tense match, but it was a it was a well paced match. Um, everything about it was um, was well done. Uh, there's a lot of variety. Just I could go on. Oh yeah, and and I, I love the story of if it's if it, it's a nice friendly competition between baby <laughs> faces, and then Luger shows up to support Sting, which brings Rick out in his finest casual wear, I guess. Yep. And then, like, they, they're, like, starting to suplex each other out of the ring. And Steiner's about to, like, slam Sting on concrete. And then suddenly Luger just starts throwing hands and, and turning this into a, a heated fight when it was not one until he decided to make it one. And they match, it kind of ends up in, like, a, it gets thrown out. You know, they, they, they all four of them start trying to punch each other and have to get restrained by the, yeah. the various locker room beautiful little messy ending that I actually didn't even mind all that much for as much as I've rolled against him in the future. This one was like, all right, all right. That, that was, that was fun. I'll give it to you. It yeah, has some like, it has some narrative purpose. Yeah. It Vince Russo. Use this story of, of Luger being clearly a snake. Yeah. I mean, 
I and what's cool about that little stroke too at the end is like it's so obviously self-serving for Luker to turn into like a chaos throw hands match. Um but I could also see like where in kayfabe that would confuse poor Sting because like it ostensibly on the surface is like I'm here to support you, buddy. This guy was gonna do bad things to you, and I'm gonna help you. Um, so I can see why poor naive little uh, little like happy Sting is like it's like this, this is, is fine, fine. everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. So no, again, nice little detail on their part. Good scripting. Like, oh god, I should never be this impressed with like seeing just like you know, baseline good writing and wrestling shows, but here we are. Um, but yeah, you guys did it. I feel, you know, relatively compelled by this story. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So as, as we wrap up here, you know, we have, we are first time in good old WCW. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a pretty fun time. Me too. Um, and like I said, I'm just really excited for so many reasons to keep pushing forward into this. Um, again, that final puzzle piece, who it's time. Yep. But for now, next time on the noobs and knockouts at pod, you know, David, uh, you know, 30 episodes. Now we've seen a lot of wrestling and, you know, we've seen a lot of of, of good and a lot of bad. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to, I want to shake things up a little bit is I want to just show off a little women's wrestling. <laughs> and up, 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 net, up next will be our NXT women's plotline. In two weeks, next week, we are watching the worst women's wrestling I can find on YouTube. R- what happens when a... <laughs> Your face, I loved it. It's exactly what I wanted. What happens when... A guy wins a jackpot lottery and decides to spend it on making a wrestling show. Wrestlelicious next week. Oh, you piece of shit! <laughs> oh, oh no! Oh, you, you, you motherfucker! You played me. You play. Oh, he knows. The, the listeners at home, he knows how long I've been waiting for this, how deeply I've desired good women's wrestling. And he, he dangled it like a little carrot in front of me, promising me, to, assuring me that, that we would finally come to our time of, of, of happy David watching some really hot ladies do some really good wrestling. And I was going to be like, damn, I, I am both att- attracted to all of these women and very uh, res- respect all of the, the very good wrestling prowess that they get to show off. And it's not just dumb, stupid fitness model fake wrestling hair pole cat fight whatever it's gonna be good it's gonna be really good and i got and he was like and he dangled that in front of my face and he's pulling it away for one last little laugh before he lets me have my good happy fun oh excellent i believe it's time to hit the plugs oh you motherfucker okay oh my friends my dear 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 friends, thank you so much for joining us once again on the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. Uh, for our returning listeners, welcome back. We are always so honored to have you welcome us into your your eardrums um, to to join us on this journey of the wild, wacky world of pro wrestling. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We hope you continue to join us. We hope you've enjoyed your first time. We guarantee if you stick around, you'll enjoy all the times to come as well. Uh, if you would like to continue joining us and you're not entirely sure, how to do so not to worry my friends i can tell you one you can follow us on youtube the noobs and knockouts podcast 
uh, you you hit subscribe, you ring that bell, you, 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 you know, all that sweet engagement, beautiful. Uh, you can also find us on three of the best places to listen to your podcast, and that would be on Spotify, on Apple, on Google. Give us follows, give us ratings, tell the algorithm that, yes, we are we are a much good show that more people should be listening to. Uh, you can also follow our socials. Um, we are on Twitter at Noobs and Knox Pod. That's Noobs, the letter N, Knox Pod, because Twitter is, you know, a big fan of its character limits. Um, we we like to post memes there. We interact with the broader wrestling fandom at large. Um, we will, uh, you know, just talk about different things that are happening in the world of wrestling. We post uh, whenever we drop a new episode. And Austin uh, is a super god of wrestling content who live tweets his wrestling watching. My friend, what's on the schedule coming up? All right. As always, we are following AEW Dynamite live every week. Ooh. It's the only wrestling show I consistently watch live. And let's go ahead and monetize everything I ever watch. Yes. So at right now, it is in this 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 sucky time period where it keeps getting preempted for NBA basketball. So uh, for the time being, right for the last for the rest of the month, we will be seeing AEW Dynamite live on Friday nights on TNT at <laughs> 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, also i keep up with the uh aew uh impact and wwe pay-per-views enough to watch them so coming up the dropping uh, happening the day this drops will be nxt takeover in your house because there's nothing more fun than watching than having the nxt do a nostalgia trip of new generation era branding I'm kind Oof. of being. I'm only. I'm only. I'm kind of being sarcastic. There, it is kind of fun. Okay. Uh, so right now, the matches we have, we have four matches on the card. The, we have not seen the. We have. We are taping this before this week's NXT. They could add more, but right now we have a fatal five way for the NXT Championship as Spooky MMA Boy Carry On Cross, the champion, must defend against Kyle O'Reilly, Cool Air Guitar Man, Adam Cole, who is just the bestest wrestler ever johnny gargano who has completely surrounded himself in like a weird he has surrounded himself with yes people he is part of the way <laughs> he, he is this is the gargano way and Pete dunn who is a british man who will break who likes to break fingers he's oh. that he's a nice person oh oh that is brutal very brutal then we get Cameron Grimes versus LA Knight. Cameron Grimes, who is the newest member of the Nove Reach, because he hit it big on GameSpot Stonks. Oh, However, shit. this has now got him cross paths with the million dollar man himself, Ted DiBiase. Oh, now, he's still around. And now LA Knight. Yeah, dummy. Yeah. Also wants some of that sweet, sweet DiBiase cash. So now we have Cameron Grimes versus LA Knight. Winner is basically going to is basically the surrogate son of Ted DiBiase. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, oh boy. Mercedes Martinez versus Zia Lee. Just gonna be two hard hitting ladies doing some hard hitting wrestling. <laughs> And then a, a singles match for the NXT Women's Championship. Raquel D Gonzalez, the champ, the biggest, the biggest girl on the block, 
She's big, she's big and strong. She will throw people around. And then Ember Moon, who is the who does uh, weird cosplay stuff and is also also likes to do a stunner, but from the top rope. So it especially hurts people's butt, hurts her butt. And um, we're all and we're all kind of waiting on the day where Raquel Gonzalez's best friend Dakota Kai turns on her because it because much she is a real luger of this st- to Raquel's thing right now. I was gonna say that sounds like a that sounds like a pretty familiar um um trope that's happening there. Yes, and then of course the next week after that will be Hell in a Cell in WWE, and right now we have three matches on the card still one one of. Uh, Monday Night Raw is airing as we're taping this right now, but we currently have a Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre in a last chance hell in a cell match for the WWE Championship. If McIntyre loses, he's done. He doesn't get any more shots at at the WWE title. Uh, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair for the Raw Women's title, and Bianca Belair versus Bayley for the SmackDown Women's title. Ooh, that sounds good. That is what is coming up this month. Very nice. Beautiful. So be sure to check that out. Um, Austin posts very funny things and also very insightful things whenever he watches. It is good shit. You can also email us at our Gmail address. That's noobsandknockoutspod at gmail.com. That's noobs, the letter, or the word and, this time, uh, knockoutspod at gmail.com. Uh, just say hi to us, leave us, leave us suggestions, recommendations, things you like about the show, things you don't. Just tell us how, how beautiful and wonderful and sexy our voices are. All that good stuff. We just love to hear from people. Just say hi and we'll say hi back. You know, we just love, we, we, we love that stuff. And finally, you can follow us on our Patreon. One dollar a month gets you early access to episodes and a shout out at the end of each episode. Yep. And right before we go, just going to do a quick shout out to once again, Invasion from Planet WrestleTopia's Kickstarter to to turn uh, this mini series into a print edition, it is running till June twenty fourth. You still got a couple of weeks to get in there. Best and comic ever. It is a fantastic comic. They got plenty of goodies in the reward tiers to get you to sign on. I personally, uh, um, uh, dropped fifty dollars on the Kickstarter. I dropped thirty five. I think. Mm-hmm. So you get get in there now and get and help get that book to print because I want to own a really pretty copy. Me uh, too. In-person book of the book. Pipe, 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 pipe. Yep. And so then, uh, see until until next week. See you guys.